Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. by the Saints for a touchdown! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good! We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! We are Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. And it's Combine Week in Indianapolis. And we'll be sure to keep an eye on the prospects that the Saints will likely be most interested in. There's also some... An assignee that from the defensive line that the, the team's bringing back and checking in on how those salary cap numbers are doing as free agencies also around the corner. Jeff, there always seems to be um, something lurking with this team, and it's just been a, a wild offseason, I think, already, considering there's that hunt for the quarterback. Still no more news on Derek Carr and his uh, him being courted, but so many other things that have been falling in place. We even heard from Jameis Winston too. Yeah. So we're going to get into a lot of that. Um, The combine starts on Thursday and you're going to have a lot going on and we're going to get into that. But yeah, first we want to talk about the player who was signed today before we get into any of that Jameis Winston noise. We're also going to talk about, we're also going to hear from Daniel Jeremiah, who I sat on the conference call with for quite a long time (laughs) on Friday. And we got some insight into what he thinks about, um, you know, some of the prospects, particularly tight ends, quarterbacks. And yeah, and then we're going to go into, you know, maybe can the Saints possibly trade up to number one with the Bears? The answer is no. And we're going to explain why. Um, but first, yes, Tano Passigno is the first Saints player to be to really the first major name that we have heard. You know, they signed Keith Kirkwood at wide receiver to a one year deal, just some depth at wide receiver. They signed Calvin Throckmorton, some depth at offensive line. But Tano, I think this deal is a little bit more than that because you're looking at two years, six million. It was two years, 4.5 million when they brought him in prior to the 2021 season. And I think that's a contract you give someone that you expect to contribute. And so it's interesting to see that they brought him back this early because you are going to have 
David Onyemata, Marcus Davenport, and Kentavious Street hitting free agency, and you have Ryan Nielsen up in Atlanta. So you have to wonder whether they're going to bring those guys back or whether they're going to be able to bring those guys back. So I, I, I'm interested to see how they deploy Tano because I think he has been, I don't want to say underused, but I haven't been wowed by how they've deployed him to this point. Oh, just another one of those big, long, you know, defensive ends that this team, this team seems to stockpile. And, you know, I think it's uh, a good rotational piece to bring back. Obviously, you're, you're hoping, uh, I think everyone's hoping to see some kind of growth from uh, Peyton Turner, obviously, going into this year playing alongside a guy like Cam Jordan. But I, I see Tano more in that road. Obviously, you know, a guy that gives you a few snaps here and there, not, not someone that's going to be hopefully a, a consistent producer or relied on to be a consistent producer because of your other guys always dealing with injuries. The other one obviously has been Marcus Davenport, but I think, I think like, you know what you're getting with Passigno. You're not, he's just a guy that, you know, he's going to get, you're going to get reliable snaps from and knows this defense already. But I don't, like I said, I don't think you want to lean on him for any starting snaps. Well, I mean, I think they, they're comfortable with that if they need it. And that's why, you know, you bring a guy like that back. Um, one thing that I think is is telling with him is, so he was a senior bowl guy back in the 2018 season. He went to the Chiefs on a, as a second round pick. And when I asked Mickey Loomis earlier this offseason, if not having a first round pick, which obviously they have one now, they didn't have that point. If not having a first round pick would impact how you scout some players in terms of, well, we're not going to have a shot at them. So, you know, maybe we take a step back and focus on the players in the back half of the board. And he said, no, you're going to, you're going to scout every player the same way you always would. Because even if you can't draft a guy four years down the road, he might be a free agent. And if you know him well and you have a good grade on him, that might be a reason you bring him in. And I have a feeling that's the case with Tano because he was a senior bowl guy. He was a guy I'm sure the Saints were high on. He kind of fits the profile at defensive end. And he's just a guy they're comfortable with. And, you know, one of the reasons that Dennis Allen gave for Peyton Turner being a healthy scratch a couple times last season was there was a rotation and Tano was in it and they wanted to get him out there on the field. And while... That's not a great answer to that question. I do think that that's, that's honesty in terms of they do feel comfortable with him out there and they are getting him at a bargain and it makes sense to bring him back. All that said, you know, you're looking at a room of Cam Jordan, Carl Granderson, Peyton Turner, and T Tano Passigno. And I wouldn't, ex I wouldn't say that defensive end lineup is particularly scary. So I think that is a position you have to consider this week if you're not bringing back a Marcus Davenport. And I know... When you say that, people are going to groan of like, why would they bring him back? It's like, well, you know, you, you need bodies at that position. It's a position that while Cam Jordan might make it seem like you can be an Iron Man at that position, it's that's that's the exception. That's a position people get hurt at all the time. You need a rotation there. So I, I like bringing him back. He's a good team guy. Um, he had six sacks, I think 42 tackles. You know, you could do worse. So that's that's kind of the appetizer, I think, to, to the free agency. But I do think it kind of gives you an indicator of how this team's going to operate. I don't think they're going to be spending lavishly outside of the quarterback position. Yeah, I was going to say that quarterback money is definitely going to be eating up most of that. The, uh, you know, dollar dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> well, that's a good that's a good segue because will it? It doesn't have to. 
<laughs> if if you bring in a Derek Carr, if you wait. Trade, trade for a Lamar Jackson, then yes, it will. But if you go with the guy who's already under contract and in the building, then it won't. You just have to eat the $12.8 million that's on his contract. And while you know it feels unlikely, that's only if you don't believe the tone and the statement that he made at the HBCU Legacy Bowl this weekend where he and actually Teron Armstead were honorary captains for the game. And he was up in the booth talking to Steve White and Charles Davis about his impending free agency. And Steve White asked Jameis about like, oh, what are your plans for free agency or something along, along those lines? And he was quick to correct him that he's not going to be a free agent. He has one year under contract. And this is exactly what he said. Technically, I'm not a free agent just yet. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I have one more year under contract. But, man, I'm, my, my main thing right now is making sure I just I stay healthy and be ready to play. Like, that's the only thing that's on my mind. I got to be ready to play because I know when given the opportunity, I'm going to look forward to taking advantage of it. Was that a little bit last year, a little bit of a push being healthy and being ready to play? Because I know you went hard trying to be ready. And I know you're not one to make excuses, but the sense I got was you weren't truly 100% while you were trying to play to have that health to go out and compete as you normally do. No, I, I wasn't, uh, but that, that comes with the territory. Right, that's because it's part, part of the thing. But at the same time, oh, it's so important to be able to show your best. It, it is, because the film doesn't lie. Right. And the film doesn't say... Uh, well, you know he was a little hurt that yeah, day. It doesn't say that. <laughs> so you have to be ready for whatever. Yeah, and this was something we talked about before we came on. And I think the way I interpreted that was they're talking about, or Charles Davis was asking him about weeks one through three, when obviously late in the Falcons game, he had that back injury early against the Bucks. He re-aggravated the foot injury from training camp. And then week three, where he really probably had his biggest struggles in terms of production sure. and mobility was that Panthers loss. And he just looked bad. And what he's saying there is like, the film doesn't lie. Like you're going to turn on that film and he's going to look bad and the film's not going to have an asterisk on it that said Jameis was playing with significant injuries. It's just film. And bad film is bad film. And so, but but like, I didn't take that as an excuse for later in the season when he was effectively benched. Like, I think he was healthy enough to play at that point, and he would tell you he was healthy enough to play. And it was really those first three weeks where if you're using that as an argument for why he can't be the starter, I do think that's a little disingenuous because that's not necessarily a picture of what he would look like healthy. No, and I was just wondering now too, am I to interpret that that you know Jameis wasn't healthy even heading into week one of the year from the injuries he was you know he's coming back from the knee injury. I don't think that's what it was. I mean, I think they're they're referencing that in terms of how hard he worked throughout the offseason to get back healthy because I think we can gloss over how difficult of like a road that is to come back from that knee injury and to not yeah. miss a snap and preseason but he was also dealing with that foot injury late in camp right i think he was over that by the time the season started but that is essentially the injury that reoccurred in week two was that peroneal tendon injury and so who knows maybe his foot was still bugging him either way i don't think that he would use that as an, as an excuse outside of week three when that just he shouldn't have been on the field at all. And obviously he got to week four and he got replaced by Andy and he never got back on the field. And that's a whole nother can of worms. But I did think the tone he struck and the chance he had there to kind of clear the decks and be like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'm <laughs> I'm looking for a job. Someone come get me. Um, he didn't do that. I think right. he played a very amicable tone there. And 
to me, that indicates he's a guy who would consider coming back if the team said, hey, I know last year was awkward. Can we work past that? Because yes, we think you're our best option. And maybe if you're in that situation, it makes sense. And you can draft a young guy and he can be the bridge. Because I do think, you know, whether Dennis Allen believes this or not is another question, but I do think he has a lot more upside than Andy Dalton, whether you believe it or not. And if you do bring him back and he he has a chance to be the Jimmy Garoppolo of last season, right? Who is in a much better situation now than if he had just sat on the bench for his final season behind Trey Lance. Very interested to see if the two sides can come to some sort of understanding about the way things went last year. I'd be all aboard, though, bringing Jameis for another shot at the starting role this season. I wanted to see him in that last game against the Panthers. That didn't happen. But just seeing the kind of teammate he was, too, on game days was big to me just because he was there for the arm around you or, you know, to let you know what went wrong and he was there to help you out or the fact that he was right there cheering on a guy like Andy Dalton who had taken over his gig. Really impressive just how he handled totally that whole situation that seemed, I guess you could say, a little unfair to us. Oh, it was unfair to him. There's no question it was unfair to him. And that's why if it was me in that situation, I wouldn't be able to get over that because I am a vindictive uh, <laughs> you know, person. Like I, I would be like, absolutely not. No way in hell am I coming back and putting my body on the line for a guy who quit on me. Oh, it was but, just yeah. The how how intensely and super engaged Winston right. was was still with the team and the game, even though he wasn't leading the pack. And that's what I and and when I say that, that's what I'm kind of leading into is he had every opportunity to burn that bridge. He had every opportunity to do what Marcus Mariota did, right? To do what Derek Carr did, and he got benched and just kind of left the team. And he was not there to be a leader. And, and that's not, he chose not to do that. And to me, that is a very mature thing to do. It's a lot more mature than I would have been. And Amen. so if you're looking for a reason to say, okay, maybe they can find a way to kind of build that bridge back again and, and bring him back for another year, that's it where he chose to be that guy. And in order, like, I'm not, I still don't think it's likely. I still think that it's most likely that he ends up getting cut and you save the cap and you figure it out. But the only way it can it could be salvaged is by him doing it the way he did it. So, you know, because in most situations, he probably would have been cut already. Like Marcus Mariota is not going back to the Falcons. There's no way, right? Like speaking Derek of, is not going back to the Raiders. There's no way. <laughs> speaking of being cut, you know, live in, you know, podcast breaking news, Carson Wentz has been cut. Cool. Yeah, I know. Everyone's going to be jumping on that train now. I mean – Talking about a guy who genuinely has no market, like man, the just... fact that the fact that he was still drawing a decent trade return as late as last season after what right. we've seen is wild. But you know, you know, I think a lot of people are going to be talking about him and Jameis in the same breath in terms of why would you believe in this guy? Hmm. And I think the number of chances Carson has gotten is exactly why you know you 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 should believe in Jameis a little more than you do cuz like why do we keep giving this guy chances <laughs> well it's really unfortunate because obviously Wentz dealt with his, his own injuries but really for well, for Jameis very similar situations from an injury perspective for, from Jameis though the past two seasons man he's just been really unlocked you know terrible luck with the fact that he hasn't been able to really 
showcase what he could do with this offense. I mean, that comeback against Atlanta, man, we saw, you know, him tossing a Mike Thomas for two touchdowns. Will we ever even come close to seeing something like that again? It, It is so funny because if you went back to week one of each of the last two seasons, the conversations you would have found about how great this team was going to be oh, were, were very funny in retrospect when they beat up the Packers 38-3 to and then the Packers ended up playing in the NFC Championship and the Saints missed the playoffs. And this year, you had that incredible comeback from 16 points down in the fourth quarter. And then, you know, obviously the Falcons didn't make the playoffs, but Saints end up 7-10. and And I just think, like, when you look at a Carson Wentz, I don't think it's a fair comparison in the sense that when Jameis has been healthy – He's been able to be a a competent starter. I'm not going to say he's been great, but he has been good. And he has been capable of winning games. Whereas Carson Wentz over the last few years, have you ever felt like he's like, oh yeah, this is the guy. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that for a second. And the only team that believed that was Washington last year. And the only team that believed the year before that was the Colts. So it'll be I don't interesting know. For, for a guy like that, it will be interesting to so where he does materialize because obviously maybe not as a starting role, but definitely somewhere as a backup, I got to imagine if he's going to be willing to to take that that kind of role on, which I guess you have to if you want to stick around. Maybe he'll go be Jalen Hurts' backup. No, he, he can't. He's not welcome back in Philly. Not good enough. <laughs> There's no way that's happening. He, he'll forever live in the shadow of Nick Foles there, and he can't deal with that. I could see him being so like we talk about bridge quarterbacks and I think there is a level of bridge. Like it's, it's yes. not like there is a bridge quarterback <laughs> that you expect to play the whole season. Or maybe he's if you not. don't make the playoffs, right? Like he's on the lowest end of bridge where it's like, you know, maybe four if, or five games. Well, like, like the Texans draft CJ Stroud and right, right. he's not there. They're like, you know what? We don't want to throw him in week one on this crappy roster that is not ready to win. We want to at least give him a couple weeks to acclimate to the NFL. And so we're going to just use Carson Wentz as a sacrificial lamb. Right. Yeah. That is a level of bridge that I think he is right now. Kind of like, like Kurt Warner was that for the Giants, number one overall pick. And it's like, that's where he was at that point in his career. And that's kind of crazy how that happened. And I'm not comparing Carson Wentz to Kurt Warner, but that's the level of bridge he's going to be a guy that, doesn't matter how good he plays, he's going to get benched unless you are like unbeaten and he's a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. He's going to get benched after like six games. That's where he's at, in my opinion. Yeah, and you you look at him and like there's going to be him and the guy like Baker Mayfield. Where do you is there really where do you go there? I might actually take Baker over over a damaged Wentz because of just not just physically, also mentally. I think Wentz is just toast in the game yeah and i think that's going to be an interesting question to me is how high are the saints on baker mayfield because i think sean payton had a had a very high opinion of baker mayfield when he was coming out i don't know if that's necessarily true of the coaches that are still on the saints i and i think too that la is still going to be there i think and to, to bring him back as the backup because you don't you don't know what bradford if he's going to last stafford stafford yes bradford Bradford, yeah. Stafford, same thing. Uh, the, there's a funny. Remember the Tim Tebow pretzel? Tebow pretzel. Yeah, there was a Tim Tebow pretzel. It was like shaped like Tim Tebow. Uh, it was a thing a few years back. And then there was a joke that him, him kneeling. Yes, he was okay. Tebowing, but it was the pretzel. And there was a joke that like, oh, this is a Sam Bradford pretzel, but it was just that pretzel like snapped in half <laughs> and broken because that's Sam Bradford. <laughs> uh, you know, Sam Bradford 
you know, he made a good amount of money for having like he was the last quarterback drafted number one overall who got to negotiate his contract. Right. Because after that year, they they started slotting everything on that. Right. I do miss those times because it was like you would get the first overall pick before the draft even happened because they just wanted extra time to negotiate. That I I, I really remember doing like a draft, you know, coverage with a bear at WWL just because, you know, after that, seeing the money that he got. You know, Bobby was like he couldn't. You know, was flabbergasted by that, considering, you know, his whole cry with free agency was, "Oh, I was just trying to get a million dollars." Right. But yeah, so I think you know, I've been pretty openly saying like I don't see a road here for Jameis, in terms of like why he would come back and why the team would bring him back. But I, you know, I'm starting to soften that stance as you kind of get further in free agency. I think whatever percentage I had it at before, I've probably gone like. If I had it at 10% before, I'm probably at like 30% now because I can see it. And when you hear someone talk and they are that, you know, because it's not, it's not easy to hide that if you were, if there's a ton of animosity Um, and I don't get that impression and I've never gotten that impression from Jameis, even when he was straight up saying like DA lied to me (laughs) and told me I wouldn't lose my job. There wasn't animosity there. So like, that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at here. And we can kind of wrap this segment up and get more into the combine of like, if I didn't believe it was possible before, I now believe it's possible. I still don't think it's likely, but I, I could see it happening. And that's a that's a step forward, in, in my opinion. And how great of a bridge, though, is, you know, people obviously want to talk about Andy Dalton being a guy you want to re-sign and bring back to be that bridge quarterback. To me, Jameis Winston is just as good of a bridge because if you have one more year with him, it doesn't work out this time. We tried. It just it didn't for whatever reason. If it's injuries or that, you know, he doesn't show that success on the field with his decision-making, whatever it is, then you have that other young quote-unquote talent to turn to after that and in, in next season. And you can at least say you did right by Jameis in this scenario. And I think that's there's value in that as it as it pertains to like the next quarterback you're trying to bring in. Uh, because like that's not a that's that's kind of a sketchy situation, right? It's like, oh, guy gets hurt and he loses his job. It's like, oh, is that gonna happen to me? Right? Like if you're going to take a job. Even Derek Carr, right? Like, if I get hurt, are you going to hand my job off to somebody else? Like, that's not a good look. And so it would it would give them a chance to kind of correct that narrative for themselves. And in a season where you kind of feel like the upper the upper ceiling is like win the NFC South and losing the first round of the playoffs, <laughs> I don't think that's the worst consolation prize you could have of like clearing that perception of yourself. But that's all. That's that's all I got to say there. I think that's I think that pretty much covers it. No, let's uh, we'll have the uh, the Jameis twenty three campaign kicking in soon. Jameis one of one will be will be thrilled. He gets to hang around for another year. Your favorite. Always has something to say. All right, let's wrap number, up that. Segment. And the numbers to prove it. Yes, yes. He always has something to say and a quote tweet to send along with it. But all right, let's wrap up that segment. We're gonna get more into combine talk, the the most exciting, boring event of all time. Stick around on Inside Black and Gold. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus And we're back. This is Inside Black and Gold. And nothing has really happened since Friday. So <laughs> we don't have a ton to talk about. But I did sit on a conference call with Daniel Jeremiah for about two hours on Friday, NFL Network's draft analyst. And he does a really good job. I do have to give Daniel credit. Like, I was a little annoyed by how the conference call operated because it was two hours of a zoom call and you kind of just sit there and wait and you have your hand raised. I don't know if any, anyone listening has ever been on a zoom call, but when you're talking about reporters, you know, we did this all through 2020. So it's, you feel like you should be good at it by now. And it was just like, you sit there with like 150 reporters on the zoom call and your hands raised and it's just waiting for the guy to call on you. And then like, you're just like, every time they say someone's name, you're like, Oh, Oh darn. And then there's a guy named Jeff that gets called on like, Oh, Oh darn. And then, uh, so about an hour and a half in, I got to talk to DJ, but he's, he's, he, you know, professional, like he was on that call for two hours and he just never missed a beat. Uh, and that guy, that guy is about as well-researched as you can be. And I thought he had some really interesting things to say about Anthony Richardson, about Bijan Robinson, about the tight end position. And he made a really good point, which is you look up and down this draft. This is a deep, deep draft. And I hope that as Mickey Loomis is looking at his board, he is not weighing how he can trade the back half of his draft board for an extra third round pick like he did in 2020, because I think you would be missing out on a lot of really intriguing draft options if you did that. Yeah, you you talk about uh, Jeremiah and just what he brings. It's kind of like that Mike Dettelier scouting, yes. like that, just being able to pull it immediately from the top of your head and not even have to think twice about it is is truly amazing for sure and i i wish i had some that uh any of that recall kind of kind of deal to even see that much film footage of what these guys are able to digest i guess that is a good comparison because like whenever you're if you ever talk to mike detelier you could name just like the backup and from like wichita state in like 2022 and he would oh, be like, oh, yeah. yeah, I talked to his granddad <laughs> two weeks ago, and he told me that, uh, yeah, it's wild. 
and I, he could be lying, and I, but he's confident enough that I believe him. And you know, I think that's you know that's a that's an important thing to have in sports commentary. But one guy that he had was really high on, and I have been a little skeptical on. And I said I've said repeatedly that I expect him to kind of fall down a little bit throughout the combine process. He's very high on Anthony Richardson, and it does seem like this buzz is not just all smoke. Like there is some fire here. Because here's what uh, he had to say as it pertains to Anthony Richardson. The best way to do, you know, the quarterback conversation is talk to the teams that don't need one, and then you'll get kind of an accurate feel of just how they evaluate him and what they think. And Anthony Richardson is the, you know, the second quarterback for several teams that I talk to. And, and we can look at the numbers, and, you know, I it doesn't look great on paper, and you look at the accuracy and this, that, and the other. He's got elite, elite arm strength. He's a rare athlete. You don't see quarterbacks, you know, running away from LSU with 80-yard touchdown runs. Like, he's got big-time, big-time ceiling, big-time ability. And, you know, you can find the games. If you want to fall in love with Anthony Richardson, you pop on Utah, you think he's the first pick in the draft. Um, even Missouri, he makes some big-time plays in that game. So, you know, I know it's a little bit of a roller coaster. I know he hasn't played a ton, but teams are – you're starting to look at some of these quarterbacks as lottery tickets, and this one has the biggest payout. So that's why I think you're going to see Richardson go pretty high. The reason I had him there with the Lions is I think sometimes when you have that those two picks, I almost you know I say it's a luxury because you're trying to get good players. But when you look at the landscape of the NFL right now, and you look at you know the high high end quarterback play, you know this gives you an opportunity to you know take a shot on one of those guys who could be that you know. He's not at that level right now, but ceiling-wise, with with him and Jared Goff, his ceiling's you know immensely higher. Jared's a, is a is a solid, steady player right now. He's playing winning football, um, but I think there is a ceiling on him. This you know with Anthony Richardson, you don't have a ceiling, so that's why I think you'll see him go. But I don't think you know in, in making just calls over the last couple of days, I don't even think he'll get there. Yeah. So what he's referring to there is he has in his latest mock draft, he has Anthony Richardson going to the Lions at number eighteen. And I do think that that does if if that is the reality that happens, it does put the Saints in play because I'm not I'm not convinced that the Lions would take a quarterback at 18. And if he got past the Lions, then that would that would very much put the Saints in that next kind of tier of of teams that might draft a quarterback. They might trade up to 22 and get ahead of the Ravens. Right. Like you could see that happen. But I did think one thing he said there was interesting. And it's like in order to get a good read on the quarterback position, you talk to the teams that don't have them because uh, the, the teams that don't need one because they're not going to give you a smoke screen. Like if you went and talked to the saints, they would just lie to your face <laughs> and, and you would yeah, never know. Cause they don't want to give that information away. Like um, the saints are looking at their paper going Anthony who what, I've never heard of him. Is it good? <laughs> Florida. Oh, okay. No, we haven't, we haven't seen anything. No. Yeah. I do still think like for, and he brings this clip up and this is the clip that gets thrown out. Is that LSU run that 80 yard touchdown run? First things first. There were a lot of business decisions made on that play. Like he he only had an 80-yard touchdown run because no one from LSU wanted to make a tackle. And and it is impressive that he was able to do it, but at the same time like there is a there is an element of bad defense going on there. Second, he played badly in that game. Like LSU was in a position where they could they they could absorb an 80-yard touchdown run in the third quarter and still win comfortably. Like he did not have a good game and that's kind of where I think it's like, yeah, if you want to fall in love with Anthony Richardson, look at the highlights. If you want to realize why he's not going to be the number one overall pick, unless you've listened to T-Bob, because uh, he's very much on that train, watch the games that he did not play well in, because there are a lot of those too. And, you know, it, it's 
it, it is it is tough. But I, I DJ did have a good a good uh, quote in this conference call, which is like the scouting kind of cliche is like if you can do it once, that means you can do it. Um, and I think that's kind of where you're at with Anthony Richardson is if you're taking him high in the draft, you are believing that you can kind of distill all of those highlight plays into a elite NFL quarterback and kind of filter out some of the bad plays and some of the mistakes. And, and then, and you, then you're projecting that because it's not there right now. It is a, he is a project, but he's a, he is a very high level project. Yeah. But when you see the, the arm strength is elite, the escapability, the, his just quickness, uh, elite really athleticism. And yeah, someone's definitely, I think going to fall obviously in love with that package. The problem is though, his accuracy I know is going to be talked about a lot and can is that a is that a trait you can really develop or is that one of those deals you got it's either you got it or you don't you know to me like being when people describe someone as being the ball hawk can you really teach that or is that kind of like an instinctual thing that you grow up in 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 football and, and it's developed it's not something that you can just be taught to be I think you can improve accuracy because you can improve mechanics like you can, you can make sure he's not throwing off his back foot and he's not, you know, like there's stuff you can do to improve that. But what you can't teach, I think, is like understanding where the ball needs to be and understanding like the, the pace that needs to go on the ball and, you know, how to, how to throw a touch pass versus how to throw a bullet pass and when it's appropriate. And that's the type of thing that I think is kind of innate is just that understanding because you don't have time to think about, oh, what kind of pass should I throw right now? Right? That's, that's yeah. very much an in-the-moment thing. Like how do I throw this guy open? versus how do I throw an interception right now? And that's where I don't think you can teach it. But you can be a little you can learn how to be accurate a little bit more. You can learn the mistakes you're making and what's causing the ball to sail and you can fix that. It, but it, it is tough. Like if you're not doing it now, how yeah, much it, more are you going to get better? Right. The the question I have more for college quarterbacks than whether they can improve their mechanics is how do you play when you have to go under center? Right? Cuz that's a completely when, when you have to turn your back to the field like not all quarterbacks can handle that. Um, and like, that's the one big question that a lot of college players, a lot of college quarterbacks struggle to answer when they get to the NFL level, because you can't run out of the shotgun exclusively. You just can't do it. And so that's, that's something that as we get, you know, more and more of these spread systems in college, you just don't know until you kind of have to see him. But I do think that, that he's an intriguing guy and yeah. I'd love to see him on the saints. And like he's a guy who, right? If you draft a Jameis Winston, or I'm sorry, if you if you retain a Jameis Winston, like we were talking about, and you draft an Anthony Richardson, I'm more than I'm more than fine with that setup. And you kind of allow him to learn, and you go from there. But that would be true with Andy Dalton. That would be true with a lot of guys. Anyone other than Derek Carr, probably, because if you are drafting an Anthony Richardson, you are not committing thirty thirty five million dollars to a quarterback. It just would not make sense. No, there's. If you're if you're getting Derek Carr, he's your quarterback at least for the next, I'd say, three seasons. Well, you're going to be like you don't have a choice. Like you're going to have to be committed to him. Yeah, he's yeah. going to make sure whatever contract he signs makes it like impossible for you to bench him. But I, I will say that I mean, obviously, if by miracle of miracles the Anthony Richardson or what, some quarterback does fall to them, there's that possibility because you want to develop an arm. But yeah, I can't. I couldn't see them maybe trying to make a move up to get that QB then if they did have a car in place. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about that next segment. We're going to get into, you know, the the Bears are reportedly shopping right. the number one overall pick and whether that's a realistic thing. We're going to get into more of that. But 
For now, let's kind of shift gears and talk about the tight end position because I think you look at what is the deepest position in this draft, and I don't think there's any question it's tight end. And this is was, you know, I, I was patting myself on the back a little bit because when we talked to DJ, his take on Darnell Washington was virtually identical to mine in that like you can get him in the third round and it's only because there are probably 11 tight ends that could go in the top three rounds. It's not about talent. It's about like, yeah, okay, Dalton Kincaid is number one. You want, he's probably going to go in the first round. But then there's all of these guys who you could feasibly get in the, on day one or day two. And uh, here's what here's what he had to say on that. I have 11 tight ends that I have top three round grades on, which is a ridiculous number. Um, it is just a really, really good group. And to me, um, I know he's coming off of an injury right now, and I know he's kind of more of a, of a flex tight end. Uh but Dalton Kincaid from Utah is I think he's a big time player. I think he's one of the, he's one of my favorite players to watch in this draft. I think he's one of the best players in the draft. Um he's just sudden in everything that he does. He separates. He's outstanding after the catch. You know, he can win on contact over the middle of the field. Um he's he's really really good after the catch. You know, as a blocker, he's going to more shield you and wall off. I I don't like, you know, when you compare guys to all-time great players but just in his movement stuff he moves he kind of looks like kelsey just the way he moves in and out of breaks um he's a really really good player i think he's you know i, I really like zach Ertz when he was coming out the year he was coming out i think he's a better version uh, of zach Ertz. so he's up there you've got mayor who's just an all-around tight end not going to be real dynamic uh at a notre dame but he is kind of the king of the combat catches um he's got a good feel on option routes just keeping guys on his back and kind of walling them off and making plays um but a good overall tight end good blocker darnell washington is massive from georgia he's he's like playing with a sixth offensive lineman in the run game and he's still developing and learning in the pass game you know i think there's more there Obviously, they had the best tight end in the country there in Bowers, who's just an absolute freak show. Um, so he doesn't get as many uh, balls as he would in another offense. But um, he's 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 really intriguing. Musgrave from Oregon State's going to probably run in a low four fives at two hundred fifty five pounds. Um, he could go in the first round. I mean, then you just you start going through the list. Laporta from Iowa, um, Tucker Craft from South Dakota State. You get Davis Allen from Clemson's intriguing. Payne Durham from Purdue. Um, Schoonmaker from Michigan, Strange from Penn State, Wiley from Cincinnati. Like, there's those are the eleven guys. It is a it is a really really good group. Yeah, I think when you when you hear that list kind of spelled out, it does kind of feel like if the Saints walk away from this draft and don't end up with a tight end, I'll be disappointed because I think this is where you could really find some elite talent and not have to spend a premium. Like, I don't want them to draft Dalton Kincaid in the first round. I, I understand the assessment. I understand how good he is. I just don't think that the value of tight end in the first round makes sense. But, you know, if you can get a guy, like a starting tight end in the third round and the type of quality you have, even if it's a little bit of a project, like a Darnell Washington would be, at, like as a DJ said, he's a little still developmental in the passing game. Like, that's a huge win. And I'd be really disappointed if – the same way I've been disappointed the last few years they didn't come away with a running back, I would be very disappointed if they weren't able to do that with the tight end position this year. I definitely feel you there when you when you see all the talent that's um, that's being talked about. But what could happen though? There there ends up being that focus on the position, which allows maybe some other slide in talent to to get into their lap. Kind of thing might be the only way I see them not coming away 
with someone at tight end, but we've we've definitely talked about it before where it's it's a position that's been a need and and still needs uh, obviously was addressed, but we haven't seen enough development from Adam Troutman and if anything bring in another top tier talent to push him kind of thing and and add to that mix with uh hopefully you get to bring back Juwan Juwan Johnson in the mix. Juwan Johnson? Yeah, it's Juwan um, Juwan 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 Juwan. I do think so we can talk about Troutman and it's like, yeah, sure, hopefully, you know, maybe he can kind of pick it up in this final the final year of his contract and whatever. But I do think this is that's why this is the year you do it. Because if you're taking a tight end in the third round and you he does need a little development. He's not yeah. going to be a guy you might trust from day one. You have Troutman, who, if nothing else, he's consistent. Like you you know what to expect from him. And so you aren't gonna bat an eye at, at playing him at tight end and starting him at tight end. And then you know, maybe later in the year, maybe next year, you have this guy who's ready to go. He's ready to step in and be that guy. And that to me makes sense. I always, I always, I call it pipeline positions um, where you, you want to be able to let a player learn. You want to have an Alante Taylor learning behind a Marsh or Marshawn Lattimore, right? You want it, you know, you didn't do this at safety. Like you didn't have a young safety learning behind Malcolm Jenkins. You didn't have a young quarterback learning behind Drew Brees, but you did have, Caden Ellis learning behind Demario Davis. And you see how that development has occurred. And I think that's something that the Saints haven't taken advantage of enough in the last few years. I think this is an opportunity to do that. Well, we did kind of joke. They did develop Von Bell, but they don't pay safeties. Yeah, but Von Bell was here. I mean, who, they didn't develop him under somebody else. No, no, no. But he was here right. like in kind of was like, see you later. I mean, they develop safeties. They just <laughs> care, they let them go. Right. <laughs> But like they, and that's to be said, they did draft at the safety position. Like they took like Saquon Hampton. They've had a few other guys that just didn't pan out. So it's not for lack of trying. But like right now, for example, I would love to see a running back learning from Alvin Kamara because who knows how long he's got left in his prime or how long he'll stick around. You just haven't had that, right? Mark Ingram doesn't need to learn from Alvin Kamara. (laughs) Mark Ingram was the guy you allowed Alvin to learn from. And I think Alvin's a better player for having learned from Mark. So I, I think that this is kind of a long-standing gripe about how the Saints have operated in that regard, but I think they need to do a better job of making sure young players are set up to succeed by being tutored by veteran players who you already have and you're already depending on. Yeah, you put the, the tight end as some a position you want to come away with this draft. I think you got to put running back in there too, obviously. Yeah, and so we can we can hit this and then close out of this segment. Is uh, And so that's B. John Robinson who – is the number one running back on the board. And every year it feels like running back is this position that is very undervalued in terms of like, you're going to get a starter in the second round, right? Like Kenneth Walker was a second round pick. Brees Hall was this, was a third round pick, I want to say. And so, but that like, if someone wants a running back bad enough, it sounds like Bijan is, is good enough to be taken. The most consistently highly graded player uh, in the draft, because even on some of them, there's some varying opinions. You'll get some people say on the defensive side, oh, you know, I'm a Will Anderson guy, or maybe I'm a Jalen Carter guy. Everybody says that Bijan Robinson is not only the best running back in this class, he's one of the five best players in this class. He's elite. Yeah, and, I, and the other thing he went on to say was like, taking a running back in the first round isn't necessarily a bad idea, but it has to be by a team that's ready to win. Right. If you are a right. bad team, so like the Giants, taking a running back in the in the top 15 picks or the top 20 picks or even the first round at all, that's a mistake because you are wasting the prime of this player. Now, if you want to add Clyde Edwards Eler to the Chiefs, right? That's a different story. Even you know, Clyde, I would argue, didn't pan out, but like the the logic there makes sense. 
I don't see the Saints being in that category of of good teams that are just need one running back away. Uh, and so I don't see that him being a target for the Saints. Uh, if it was something though, what if he ends up falling to twenty nine and you're you're left there with that opportunity? That's what I'm saying. Twenty nine, I would not consider him for the Saints. If he drops to forty, still okay. Well, right. That's that's what I'm saying is I don't see the Saints as being one good running back away. But if he ends up at forty, I'm heavily considering it. But again, there's so many good running backs, such a deep running back draft that like, you know, you're looking at mocks and obviously mocks are just guessing a lot of times, but you know, you're getting Ty J Spears, Evan Hall in the fourth round. Yeah. It, or, you know, obviously Bijan is a lot better than those players, but is he by enough that you would bypass taking a premier defensive tackle, a premier interior lineman? I, I don't think so, but that's kind of where I'm at. No, it's, it's definitely tough, but when you hear something like that from Daniel Jeremiah being a top five talent in the draft that ends up falling, you know, if it would, if there was, there'd be a situation where he's there at 29, it's kind of hard not to pull that trigger, especially since it's a, it's that it's a big position of need. I'd put it up yeah. there with the interior of the D line. Yeah. And the, the thing working against him is there are a lot of examples, a lot of examples of, <laughs> First round running backs clearly not working out and clearly being a mistake. Rashad Penny, Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette, you know, and, and Saquon is probably the most successful of those three, right? And he was the number two pick, which is crazy to me, but like he at least has has been that kind of superstar talent. Like if you're taking a running back in the top 15 picks, he better be the best player on your team. He better come in and be a superstar on day one. And and Saquon was that. So like you can at least kind of look at it like that. Quadzilla. But, he has to be that, or it's a waste of a pick. He can't be a good running back. He, he needs to be an ascendant running back. And whether Bijan can be that or not, that's a tough bet. <laughs> like, like, who knows? But either way, that's. I think that's it for my uh, my my draft takes or my combine takes. You got anything else before we move on? No, but the, yeah, the, the running back position, like I said, is something I I definitely have way up there with the interior of the D line for this squad in the draft and I, I along with tight end I'd, I'd say i'd be disappointed that'd be my big disappointment if you don't come away with the back no doubt i agree with that too especially the situation camara currently finds himself in and you you ideally want to come away with the back that you feel confident you could play this season you know you don't want to come back with a seventh round running back or like maybe is a lottery ticket right like i think you're going to have to get aggressive in the mid rounds but i i agree with that and real quick camara's court date is this week yeah it's worth mentioning march 2nd so mm-hmm. I believe that would be Thursday. Well, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see whether he shows up, what happens there. I don't think it's going to be like a, you know, a, a lot of action. I think you're just kind of at the point now where this is getting started, you know, and the argue the arguments are going to get made and you're going to kind of set like pleas and stuff, I think. And uh, you're going to go from there. But either way, it's going to be that's going to be where you kick everything off and we kind of get a better picture of how things are going to look. And I think you're going to start to see some evidence leaking out and maybe finally get that video of what started all of this. But yeah. We need to dip inside the black and gold funds for a trip to Vegas. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> sure. Live on the street. Live from Las Vegas, outside the Las Vegas Municipal Courtroom. I don't think that's like. But hey, we can dream. Yeah. All right, stick around. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Steve. He's Steve Geller. I'm Jeff Nowak. I'm forgetting who I am. One more segment coming back at you. We're going to talk about trades. Trades. Let's get some trade.
Two down, one to go. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. I've never liked that. I've never liked that, that phrasing because it makes it sound like you're just listening to this because you're being forced to. It's like, if you don't want to listen, just turn it off. This is, a, this is an optional. Or it, it sounds like you're slaving away too. It's like, two down. Yeah, it sounds like I don't want to be here. And obviously I don't. Right, I would right. rather be doing anything else. But, you know, I, I get paid I get paid moderately cheaply to... To, to, to feign enthusiasm. And so I'll keep doing that. Um, I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. He's Steve Geller, WWL. If you haven't subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button. Do the good thing. Go check out your YouTube at WWL Sports. Go check out the latest content at WWL.com. Listen to us on Sports Talk, 4 to 8 p.m. on Fridays. That's WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 in the Odyssey app. We get real bored because Fridays is just like, Man, what are we going to talk about? So if you guys want to call in and 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 rant about stuff, do that. It's, We're definitely uh, going to have to get more creative with some segments, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I've so I've gotten to the point where I've memorized the number. So if you want to call in or text, it's 504-260-1870. It took me like months, but I finally remembered it. I know that number. I know my mom's cell phone number. And I know the house phone to my parents' house up north that is still connected but hasn't been charged in like six years so those are the three numbers i know i was gonna say you better know your fiance's number too i don't <laughs> i don't know anyone's cell phone number that is under the age of like 46 what's funny is it's like back obviously in the day it's like i don't know things are so different i laugh i have a you know soon to be 13 year old and it's just what a different world i can't even imagine what it would be like to have such easy access to stuff as a kiddo nowadays yeah anyway so speaking of easy access this do the saints have easy access to the number one overall pick now that the bears have at least pretended that they're interested in trading it the simple answer is heck no the longer answer is (laughs) no so there's no chance okay so (laughs) we kind of talked about this a little bit um if you want to go by the trade chart and that's not always reliable, but it's at least a, a stepping off point. And it kind of shows you just, just how insanely expensive it is to trade for the number one overall pick from anywhere, especially from the back half of the draft, right? Like if you're the number four overall pick, you have the luxury of saying the majority of your value is held at number four. So all you have to do is find the remaining value and send that. In this case, the Saints have very, you know, the, the once you get past pick like 25, the value is like nothing in terms of relatively speaking. Like the number one pick according to the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart is worth 3,000 points score, whatever you want to call it. So the number 3,000, that's where it's valued at. If you go down to number 29, that has a value of 640. Got so not even a third, that. not yeah. even a third of that value. If you add every single pick, the Saints have, including the number 260, which is a comp pick that we're assuming they get. That uh, that all adds up to about 1,500. So if you traded your entire draft board, you still ain't getting there. You're about halfway there. <laughs> now, like once you get past the third round, the values are like 64, 32, 24.6. So like you can honestly just eliminate that because no team is going to want your fourth through seventh if you're giving them one, two, and three. So I would imagine that you could probably get away with your first three picks from this year. So you would probably have to trade 29, 40, 71. 
and that would get you to about 1300 right from there you're probably also going to have to trade next year's first and the but the value of a future first is typically held at about the bottom third of the current draft so you're still talking like 600 800 Ooh. so you'd probably have to add your third from that season because you don't have a second and then i would guess either your second and or third in 2025 to even equate the value so you are already committing a massive package of assets to this draft and then beyond that keep in mind if the colts got involved and offered the four if the panthers got involved and offered the nine even if you offered that package probably gets beat out by whatever the Colts or the Panthers offer because the value of being able to still pick a Jalen Carter maybe at number four or whoever's available at nine is so much higher than what the Saints can offer with the 29 that like, I don't know if you would even do it. Like even if technically you look at the value chart and the Saints offer has an aggregate total of slightly more, they might just go with the Colts because they prefer to pick at four. Um, and they would it would look bad if they traded all the way back. So like all this is to say, insanely incredibly unlikely like the only way this happens is if the saints are willing to commit everything and no other team gets involved at all and i just don't see that being being realistic no obviously even if there was that crazy ridiculous you know generational talent that was available you got to imagine too that where you're slated to that there's going to be other teams presenting higher value you know, in the draft compared to what you have to offer, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just tough. And like you floated the ideas like, well, what if you traded Chris Olave and Pete Werner? And it's like, yes, right, now you, yeah, you're willing to give up everything. There's a chance. But do you want like, will that make your team better? Maybe. Like guess, top, top two, three quarterbacks don't always work out. Like that's a heck of a gamble. To me, keep in mind, you're still giving up those assets, so you're not going to have picks to to bring those guys in. Like, that's if there's that dude that you know is Joe Burrow, I go, you know, I might, I might consider doing whatever it takes, kind of thing. I don't know, but that's, but that's why, like, so if they were, if they were sitting at ten right now, then that might be reasonable. Like, if you had the tenth overall pick and you worked that into a package, then that's like, it's still a big trade package you'd be giving up, but it's like you, you could at least be competitive with the teams ahead of you. 29 is not in the same category as the top 10 pick. So like in that sense, the trade last year made it. So this trade is impossible. And I think if you're Mickey Loomis looking at it, that's kind of where you're, it's like, we, we did this last year. We got the value that we felt, feel like we maximized. And from there we're going to work on. And I don't think trading for the number one pick is even worth talking about. Is, is getting into the top 20, you think feasible or not even that? Yes. Yes. And then that's, I haven't done the calculations on that, but like, for example, if you're trying to trade up to 22 to get ahead of the Ravens, that would be the chargers, you know, yeah. that would be expensive too, but it would be nowhere near as expensive, even as you paid last year to go from 16 to 10. Like you could probably get away with you're trading the 29. You'd probably have to trade your third and a future third. But if you really believe in the quarterback, I, I do believe, I don't know if it's going to be quarterback, but I mean, we've seen it way too many times for this to not believe the Saints are going to be aggressive enough on draft day to trade up. I don't see them, you know, we haven't seen them move down to accumulate picks as everybody wishes they, you know, they kind of do. But I, I just see them making that move up again for whoever it is that they covet. I only see it 
potentially happening if it's for a quarterback. I don't see it happening if it's for any, like last year, like trading up for a receiver is incredibly rare. Like you saw the Saints do it last year. You saw the Falcons do it for Julio Jones. I think both of those examples were correct. They were good decisions because those are both players that I think you're going to end up seeing, you know, anchor. Like, obviously you did see that with Julio. You saw him anchor that team for forever. And you're going to see that with Chris Olave. Is he's going to anchor that team for a long time. In most cases, it's a mistake. And you could make a valid argument that it was a mistake for the Saints last year. But at least you got like rookie of the year caliber play out of Olave to help you justify it. Now, the trade that I think is reasonable to talk about, if the Bears kind of reverse course and do end up taking a Bryce Young at number one, is Justin Fields. Like, I do think that the 29 and a package around that will be competitive. And it's just a question of whether the bears end up wanting to go that route. But I've like, we've talked about this before is I very much like Justin Fields. I would love to see Justin Fields be that the guy for the saints. And like, if he ends up on the table, I, I would be willing to part with a lot of assets to bring him in. And it's just really, to me, it's just a question of whether he's, whether he's there. Yeah. It's a good question of what it's going to cost to bring uh, fields in a trade, but yeah, he's obviously a guy you you turn to obvi- uh, right away. There's no there's no bridge needed there. Um, I was definitely impressed with what he did, especially early on in the season when he had absolutely nothing. And it's not like they they added much at the trade deadline. You know, bringing in wide receiver help for him from uh, what was it Pittsburgh? Yeah, uh, Claypool, and that wasn't an, an, a huge significant upgrade by any means either, but the numbers he's able to put up between the passing game and on the ground are just, he's one of those, those guys you just see on the field that stands out obviously. And it's, and it's almost that video game, like darting quickness that is truly amazing, but you have to worry about guys like that too. Cause eventually you're going to get, you're going to get eventually hit. You're going to get hit. Yeah. Right. That's really going to catch up to you. And, you know, we've seen that with Lamar, right? We've seen him deal with injuries at inconvenient times. And it's just like, yeah, well, the way you play, you know, it's it's an inevitability that you're going to take a hit. And, like, as good as you are at evading them, can't evade them always. Sometimes they're going to get you. You saw that with RG3, right? Like, RG3's career, who knows how good he could have been if he didn't have to deal with those knee injuries. We joke about Carson Wentz. He was great until the Rams messed him, you know, his yeah. knee up. Mike Vick was the same way. Like, it was like, wow, it's all these highlights, but the, the, they stopped before the, the legs break and stuff. Right. And so, yeah, but but like Justin Fields, and, and again, it's a good point because in order to be successful with Justin Fields, you need to embrace the fact that he is a running back when he has the ball in his hands. And that's when you saw the Bears struggling earlier in the year with him in there. And even last year, I don't think, I think it's because you didn't see them embrace him as a runner the way they needed to. And they kind of got to that point later in the year and you saw him really have those incredible games, but I think it's gotta be a balance and any team that brings him in, if you're going to trade for him, you have to embrace that because as, as much as I like Justin Fields, if he is just a pocket passer, he's not an NFL quarterback. Um, and so that's, that is frustrating. I think but the yeah. success too of a guy like Hertz obviously helps his value too. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that is the future of the NFL is guys who can do what he does, maybe not at, at such an elite level, but like, for example, like Daniel Jones, right? Like, I think if he was in the NFL 10 years ago, he would have been, he would have washed out by now because 
he's not a guy who you can expect to stand in the pocket and, and rifle the ball down the field. But when he can get outside the pocket, when you can move it, when you can run the read option, when you can slow down the pass rush, he's got the athleticism to do it. And I think that's like Josh Allen's another good example of that where, you know, maybe he's a little, he's a little higher than Daniel Jones in terms of he does have that cannon arm. But you, you need both of those assets in today's NFL, I think. Or at least it vastly helps you. And that's where you're going to get it. And I, I guess that's where we, you can you can tie this back in with the whole Derek Carr hunt or pursuit. It's is he a guy that really he doesn't provide that really for you? He does. He's not horrible as a scrambler, but he's not a guy you think of as as someone that's gonna you know tote the ball for you. No, he's not a guy you're gonna run the ball with. You're not gonna run a read option. Um, but yeah, and that is that is what makes him a little less attractive, I think, on the on the open market. Uh, but we're going to see. We're going to find out whether the Jets think he's that guy or whether the Saints think he's that guy. The guy who I think a lot of Saints fans think is that guy is Hendon Hooker. And he's another dude who, like Anthony Richardson, if you're drafting him, you're drafting him as a project. And he's not going to start on day one. And you're going to need a guy like a Jameis or an Andy or somebody in there. But I do think that it's tough. Like I think you could still draft Derek Carr. I'm sorry, bring in Derek Carr and draft Hendon Hooker. Because I think he's more of a long-term project. He's kind of like when the Chiefs signed Alex Smith and drafted Pat Mahomes, right? Like Alex Smith was still good enough to win games and get you to the playoffs, and he did. Um, but then, you know, when Pat Mahomes was ready to start, you were ready. And obviously, Hendon Hooker is not Pat Mahomes. But I'm just, in terms of like, you could bring in Derek Carr and still draft Hendon Hooker. I think that's true. And here's what Daniel Jeremiah had to say on Hendon Hooker. He's a lot higher on him than I am, but, you know, he's the expert, so... I think he's a good player. You start with accuracy and decision making. He can think the game really well. You know, we'll we'll see how high he ends up going coming off of the injury. I think he would have been a first round pick if he doesn't get hurt, even with the age. I know people, you know, talk about how old he is, but he's a really, really solid player. I think Yeah, my my question really isn't so much even the age or the injury with him. It's really just the the system he kind of ran uh in college and how how quickly you can adapt to the NFL game if you know how what will that take? Right. It's an example of one of those guys like, can he line up under center? Can he turn his back <laughs> right. to the field and then and then reset and find his receivers? Like, I don't know. He's probably not gonna work out at the combine this week. I saw a report that he's not gonna throw. I imagine that means he's not gonna run either. He didn't work out at the senior bowl. So you are missing these opportunities to get a close look at him. But I do think that some of the biggest questions around Hendon Hooker are going to be ones that you're only going to be able to answer in those one-on-one meetings and those interviews. And you're going to get to do that. And so that's why it's really tough to gauge how high teams are going to be on him because we don't get to see what he looks like on the field. We don't get to see what he's going to run at the 40. He'll have a pro day down the road at Tennessee. I'm sure that's kind of what he's gearing up for. Even if he works out at the combine, it'll be very minimal. Like, But he'll do the hand measurements. He'll do all that stuff. He'll get, you know, like I remember Thad Moss, ended up getting like a foot fracture discovered. So they do the physical and all that. And that is an important part of the process. It's the first time that these teams really get uninterrupted access to the player. You know, like like LSU players always seem to shrink an inch or two at the combine, right? Uh, like I think Justin Jefferson was 6'3 until he got to the combine. They're like, you are not 6'3, sir. And But like I knew that because I've stood next to him. I'm like, I'm six feet. You are not 6'3. But it's like, that's why it's an important part of the process because – College teams are trying to sell these guys to the pros. The pros are trying to just make like assess what reality is. So one way or another, you're going to have teams walking away from this combine experience with a much better picture of who they think Hendon Hooker is. 
And that's where you're kind of going to start to get reports and guys getting brought in for top 30 visits and all that. And so it's even if he doesn't work out, it's, a, it's an important part of the process for him. That's what I'm kind of trying to say. What's funny is obviously how much the coverage and the interest in the NFL combine is, you know, multiplied over the years. There's just no way that we can get access to be the best part of this process, which is those one-on-one -on -one interviews, obviously, because, you know, teams aren't going to share the information. But the, the questioning, obviously, you hear sometimes, I would love to see players' reactions to some of those outlandish, you know, questions that teams come up with for them. But just in general, to see how guys carry themselves in these situations, I know it ends up being so key, too, in the determination of their character, how they, you know, their their makeup in general to go along with their on-the-field talent. Yeah, you always hear, like, I think Tyron Matthew, no, I think Darius Geis actually was the player who, like, report, like talked about how he got asked some really crazy questions. About and, video games, right? Or effort. Well, I know. I, I think it was, like, his sexual orientation and stuff like that. Oh, Lord. And, like, I do think there is some level of this questioning that is just geared toward like putting somebody in an uncomfortable situation and Absolutely. seeing how they react. And I think that's an example of that, but it is kind of, it's, it is like, there's a, there's a, a level to which you should not go beyond. And I'm, I have like, I'm sure it happens. Yeah. But like yeah. Said, that, that whole interview process to me is, is really interesting, but unfortunately uh, yeah, we'll ne we'll never get a glimpse of that. No, but we do get you do get the podium interviews that you don't get a lot of um, throughout the court. Like you get them at in college, but this is a very more a way more exposed situation. And I think how how players handle those situations is telling. And we'll see. We'll get a good picture of that um, with a lot of these guys, and we're gonna see how wild the numbers are that Anthony Richardson actually does put up. Like Justin Fields ran in the four fours of the combine, and he ended up going number ten overall. If if Anthony Richardson puts on like a crazy performance and suddenly it's like all the hype is on him, you know, oh, I, yeah. we we were talking about trying to come up with a comparison for what has happened with him, and it's it's really tough because it's like how how when's the last time you saw a quarterback who did not have success in college, but but he's this kind of athletic marvel because because he did not he was not a good college quarterback we like we can say that definitively. But that's and he went to a team that should be stocked with talent and he struggled. He had good moments. He had great moments. He had really ugly moments. And like maybe like RG3 is an example, but he was a Heisman candidate, right? Like Trey Lance played at North Dakota State. So you can kind of compare the sense that like you didn't really know, like, you know, he's this crazy athlete, but you're kind of projecting. Um, it's really tough. Make maybe maybe Mitch Trubisky is an example. Oof, yeah, that's a rough one there. And like Lamar is probably the best example of a guy who was a little rough around the edges and, and you had to kind of project, but he was the number 32 pick. So I think Lamar is a good example of a player who is the reason that Anthony Richardson probably won't fall because no one wants to be the next team to be like, oh, we don't believe in that guy. And then he ends up being Lamar Jackson, right? So like, I think in the comparison model here, he is the... He's he's the what ruined the curve for a team he's like the Saints who might want it. to steal Anthony Richardson at twenty nine, right? Yeah, I, exactly. Now, now because of the curve, he's going to be boot vaulted into the the top fifteen, maybe top ten discussion. Yeah, or number or number one overall. If you if you want to listen to T Bob, he's really in on that. I don't uh, know who's falling in love with him that much. <laughs> if, if the if the Bears take Anthony <laughs> Richardson. Uh, over just, and, and play him instead of Justin Fields. That'd be kind of wild. But hey, 
Chicago going to be Chicago. Fortune favors the bold, right? The brave. Yeah, I'm. I'll listen. I'm. I'm still curious to see how we end up this season because you know there. There's now been that renewed little, little bit of hope. You know, the more I keep thinking about the Jameis Winston deal for the value that he has with his contract. And obviously, you know, he's familiar with the offense. It really isn't a really awful idea. No, I mean, I never I never thought it would be. No, but the question to me was, is he willing to come back? And sure, the relationship. Right. I know from from what I've heard from him and from, you know, people I've talked to, it does sound like he would be willing to do that. And so from there, it becomes like, okay, are the Saints willing to do that? Right. I, I just, are they willing to are they willing to commit to him in a more serious way? And, right? and it just makes sense too, just to see you you know you see Jameis goofing around the guys. He clearly has a tight relationship in this locker room already, and I'm sure yeah he could establish that somewhere else if someone's willing to pay him kind of thing. But I, I kind of do understand why he would want to be here. And we have come full circle, <laughs> and I think that is when it is time to pull the plug on another episode of Inside Black and Gold. Right. As we get red, red, uh, you know, wrap up this podcast and I talk about how I could see Winston back, it'll be like, oh, breaking news that Derek Carr has signed with New Orleans. I, d- d- unlikely. But I do think that anytime we naturally loop around to the original discussion that we started with. Perfect. That's that's when we, we should... We should uh, Stop poisoning the eardrums of the people, the people listening. Plus, I got to get to. The, I'm going to the Pelicans game tonight, so I gotta, I gotta get this edited and out prior I'm to that. I'm sorry, I've I've been bothered since last year. I cannot get out of my head. Winston deep to Shahid. So sorry. Neither can he. <laughs> Never got a chance. All right, this is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks for everyone who listened. Hit the subscribe button. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We're gonna. I'll probably talk about the combine on Thursday, but I don't know what we're going to talk about because it starts on Thursday, and I guess we can we can wait until after the first day and kind of give you some uh, some takeaways. But we will uh, we'll judge men's bodies on weigh-ins. I mean, I always do that internally, so might as well do that externally. It's hand size, you know, we could talk about hand size. Definitely always a big one with QBs, man. It is, it is. Joe Burrow and Pat Mahomes both have tiny hands, and they suck. Yeah, they're awful. All right, that's it. That's the tweet. Thanks, y'all. I be in G forever. I don't know, it's terrible. <laughs>